Good morning, everyone. How, how's everyone doing? Everyone doing okay? I, I'm trying to imagine everyone's, all the faces that are out there and um, all the families that are tuning in um, and everyone out there. Uh, here's a little bit of an announcement. Our staff team somewhat recently had a conversation of about timing and going back to in-person services. And our plan in consultation with the board is to continue with online services. And so for the rest of the year, we will not have in-person services and we will evaluate that in the new year. And, and here's our reasoning really quickly. According to our last CLC uh, pandemic survey, we interpreted the responses that people gave that um, people just aren't ready to go back to in-person services. And we've also been looking at the numbers in Alameda and Contra Costa County, and it's still not at safe levels to go back. So church for the good of our community and for the good of our society, I think we'll just have to be patient. Um, so no in-person services for the rest of the year and we will consider again in the new year. All right. Now, why don't I um, begin our, our message time with prayer? So would you please bow your heads and close your eyes and, and pray with me? Dear Father God, you are the great physician. And there are many people in our nation and even in our church who are sick. Uh, Father, please have mercy on them. Please have mercy on us. Please uh, touch our bodies because we need your healing. Please touch our hearts so that we might look to you and put our trust only in you. Father, um, please touch our president, our President Trump. We are aggrieved by the things that he said during the last debate, but also the things that he did not say. Um, nevertheless, please have mercy and spare his life and teach him a valuable lesson through um, his sickness. Please give the American people wisdom in the coming election. Father, many of us are tired and weary and we need to be restored. We need your touch of grace. So please speak to us and um, renew us in this very hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, now we, we are at the very start of a whole new series. And I um, want to explain why we're going into a new book. But um, a couple of weeks ago, my neighbor sent me a text, okay? And so I received this text and the text goes, uh, Andrew, a car down the street was towed last night. Okay, that's the text that he sends me. I'm like, okay, yeah, so, right? And he's like, um, I think it's your car. Suddenly I'm panicking, okay? I'm running out into the streets. I, I can't find my car <laughs> and I can't believe this happened. Now, Church, you have to believe me, I'm, I'm not that guy who gets his car towed, okay? I'm not. Um, I, I parked it in a spot that you're not supposed to leave overnight, and I, and I, just, I just left it there. Now, now, of course, I was going to move my car. You know, I just, I just never got around to it. And so 
So I can't find my car and I'm upset. And Raina is upset and I'm like really embarrassed, right? And so Raina says to me, she says to me, I think you need to reflect on what this means, okay? And so as I was waiting in line to retrieve my impounded car, I had a little bit of time to reflect. This is what I think it means, okay? During this pandemic, it's easy to live in survival mode, you know? I mean, months and months of just sheltering in place and a certain weariness sets in, a certain kind of malaise sets in, you know? And it's easy just to like, in a sense, live in ruins, to let things go that you shouldn't let go. And then to say, yeah, it just it is what it is, right? So my spiritual life isn't what it should be. It is what it is. You know, I have no boundaries between work and rest. It is what it is. You know, my relationships are not what they should be. It is what it is. My, my purity, my priorities aren't what they should be. We need something from the outside to kind of get our attention, you know, to rouse our attention. Like a text that says, hey, your car is being towed. Or better yet, how about a book of the Bible? A book of the Bible that calls us to focus on what is most important to get our attention, you know. And that book for this season is the book of Nehemiah. Now, the book of Nehemiah is, in a sense, it's about refusing to live in ruins. It's about this beautiful word, restoration. You know, isn't that such a beautiful word? Just like restoration, ah, you know? Now, it's about coming back to things that give us life and strength and hope and community. It's about renewal and rebuilding and resetting in a sense, the message of Nehemiah is like this. It's like, don't, don't settle down. Don't settle for broken walls and broken gates. It is time to rebuild. Now, it's a book about many things. It's a book about prayer. It's a book about courageous leadership. It's a book about never giving up. It's a book about integrity and social justice. It's a book about setting good boundaries between rest and work. But it's also a book, perhaps even primarily, about spiritual renewal where we say, God, I know we haven't been the people you've called us to be. Help us. Help us. It's a book about coming back to God. And so for the next eight weeks, we're going through the book of Nehemiah. Now, <clears throat> Whenever we go through a new book of the Bible, it's an opportunity for me to explain the bigger story, the context of this story um, uh, that's in the book of Nehemiah. And so here goes. Here is the backstory, and I want to say a little bit about who Nehemiah was. Okay, here's the backstory. The story place, takes place in Susa, which is the capital city of Persia. Okay, now here's how we got there. How, here's how they got there. Um, after God gave Israel a homeland to settle in, the hearts of the people of Israel, they grew wicked. And so they started to chase after other gods and they started to oppress the poor. And so God punishes his people by having a more powerful nation come and conquer them and deport many of their people away to Babylon, which later was defeated by Persia. 
All right, now, Nehemiah's family was one of the captives. Now, when people were deported to Babylon, obviously, they were not very happy about this. They wanted to go back home. But the prophet Jeremiah said, no, 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 stay there in Babylon for 70 years. God still has good plans for you. He hasn't forgotten you. And after 70 years, then you can go back home and rebuild. Okay, so fast forward 70 years later, Jews start making it back to Israel to rebuild their homeland. But you have prominent families like Nehemiah's family who chose to stay in Persia, at least for the time being. That's the setting of the story, all right? Now, let me tell you more about Nehemiah. Uh, you want to hear a joke that I, I tell my kids? Okay, well, you're going to hear it anyway. Okay, so who is the shortest person in the Bible? The answer is Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Okay, now my, my kids don't like that joke either. But um, actually, ironically, he's a towering figure in the Bible. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. It reveals this at the very end of the chapter. Now, this is a big deal. It means that Nehemiah had this very important job in the Persian administration. So what a cupbearer would do is he would bear the cup of the king, which means that whenever the king would drink something, Nehemiah would, in a sense, take a sip first, make sure there was no poison in the cup. So Nehemiah was someone that the king trusted with his very own life. Now, more on Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a minority. He was a minority Jew in a Persian world. Uh, in a way, Nehemiah was an immigrant. And to quote Hamilton, immigrants, they get the job done. But he was an immigrant, right? Which means in the sense that Nehemiah had to work extra hard to get ahead. And he showed the utmost integrity in everything he did. He was responsible. He was good with his words. He was level-headed. Attention to detail. Okay, now in a minute, I'm going to read the first chapter of this book to you. But most of the time, when I preach an entire chapter of Scripture, I choose one point and I base, you know, everything around one point. Today, I'm going to do something a little different. Today, I'm going to teach the entire narrative and then just um, uh, bring up points that actually emerge from the text. So just more than one point. There's actually several points. But then at the very end of uh, the message, I'm going to come back to one point and unpack one point. Okay, so that's that's where we're going um, for the next, um, you know, 20 minutes. All right. Here um, from chapter one of the book of Nehemiah. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. 
The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, I just want you to imagine the scene. Nehemiah is in his office and he hears this, this knock at the door. And it's, it's his brother Hanani. Just come back from a trip to Israel to see how the Jews who had returned to Israel were doing. Now, you imagine Nehemiah, you know, Anani, you know, gives his brother a hug and a kiss and says, come, 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 tell me, tell me everything, tell me everything, tell me everything about how are people doing, come on. Hanani is like, Nehemiah, let's sit down first. Now, my mother-in-law had to tell her close relative that his daughter died in a car accident. And so she showed up in person and she said, um, let's sit down first. And then she broke the news. So I imagine, you know, Hanani is like, Nehemiah, let's sit down. It's not good. They both sit down. Nehemiah is like, tell me. It's not good, Nehemiah. It's not good. It's not good. Our people, they, they started to rebuild the wall. And then our enemies heard about the project and the king put a stop to all the activity. Now the walls are broken down and the gates have been burned down and we're in a lot of trouble, Nehemiah. Everyone is feeling so discouraged and so humiliated. Now, to the modern person, you're like, okay, it's just a bunch of broken down walls and gates. What's the big idea? Why are you getting so upset? In the ancient world, cities and buildings represented life and order and beauty and creation. The buildings were a reflection of how the people were really doing as a community. I mean, tall walls mean that your faith is strong. Your relationships are strong. A dilapidated house means there's dysfunction inside the house. It means they're discouraged and they're disheartened. It means spiritually you're in ruins. Now, Nehemiah hears what his brother shares with him, and he is upset. He is beyond upset. And the text says that he sat down and he wept and he wept and he fasted and he mourned for four months. Now, one of the big things this teaches us is like Nehemiah is an amazing guy. You might even call him a hero, right? And this is the start of every hero's journey. It starts with a problem that breaks your heart. Every hero, in a sense, starts here. And here is Nehemiah, and the story starts with heartache, his, his heart being like rendered in two. Church, let me ask you a question. And we'll come back to this, but what breaks your heart? Amazing things happen when you pay attention to what breaks your heart. Church, what breaks your heart? And so here is Nehemiah with a broken heart and is weeping and is weeping and is mourning. Now look at what this amazing world-changing leader does. What does he do? He prays. He prays. Really? Now, isn't there something inside this? Sometimes we, we feel like we have more important things to do than pray. Like, I have this essay to write. I have dinner to fix. I have a room to clean. You know, I have no time to pray. 
For four months, Nehemiah makes prayer the number one thing he does. Why? Because Nehemiah knows prayer is not a waste of time. It is the most effective use of time. Because the moment you pray, you stop relying on your own power and you start relying on God's power. People go, I'm too busy to pray. But if you really know the power of God, then you would say, I am too busy not to pray. Martin Luther once said, I have so many things, so many important things to do today. Instead of praying one hour, I think I better make it three. So the rest of the chapter is what Nehemiah prays. Now, it's not like he prayed the same prayer every day for four months. Um, it, it, it's, it's basically what you have is a summary of all of his prayers for four months. And so here's Nehemiah teaching us valuable, valuable things about prayer. And so here it goes, starting in verse five. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was cupbearer to the king. Okay, and a great almighty prayer. Uh, I have three points that come from Nehemiah's prayer. Just going along with the text and here, here are the points. Here's the first point. When you pray, begin with who God is. Let me say that again. When you pray, begin with who God is. Now, notice that when Nehemiah prays, he begins with who God is. And that's called the prayer of adoration. A lot of us, when we pray, we jump into like just asking God for things, which is called supp supplication. God, please help me with this. God, please help me with that. Now, when you focus on your problem, one of the problems is, is that you start to feel the burden of that problem. This is not what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah starts with the character of God. And by doing this, he is adding so much faith and strength to his prayer because the more he focuses on his own God, the less and less his problem is a burden. So 
He's focusing on who God is, and he brings up at least two things about God's character. The first is that God is very, very great, and the second is that God is very, very good, and that gives him tremendous faith to pray for everything else he prays. All right, the second point is this. Don't pray they, but pray we. Don't pray they, but pray we prayers. Now, notice that Nehemiah starts to pray prayers of confession, but notice how he doesn't say they or them, those Jews, you know, Um, those bad people over there. No, no, no. He doesn't say that. He says, we, he says, we have sinned against you. What is he doing? He is identifying with his people. He's taking personal responsibility. Like so often we hear people say like, people in my family, they're so messed up, you know, or even like, you know, people in my church, they're so messed up. But here's Nehemiah saying, we, we're all messed up, aren't we? We're all, we're all in the same mess together. Oh, all right. So here are two lessons we learned from Nehemiah about prayer. First is like, start with the character of God. Second, um, identify with the people of God. And then number three, be prepared at the end of your prayers. Here it is for God to send you. Be prepared at the end of your prayers for God to send you. One Bible teacher put it like this. God's plan A from the beginning is he is always sending people. He is always sending people. So Nehemiah hears that his people hundreds of miles away are in bad, bad shape. They're living in shame. Walls are broken down. Gates are burned down. And so he starts to weep and he weep and he prays for four months. And then finally, after four months of praying, the conclusion is God is calling him to put his entire life down on the line. Now, listen, if the king is offended by Nehemiah's request. The king could throw Nehemiah in jail. Worse, he could have him executed. He could have his whole family executed. So it comes down to this moment. Nehemiah prays, God, give me grace in the eyes of this man. He's talking about the king. Nehemiah is feeling called by God. And so he's praying to put his entire life on the line. What is going to happen next? Well, this is actually where we end um, our message today. (laughs) Cliffhanger, cliffhanger. We'll unpack what happens next week. But give me a minute to review all the points that we have talked about here in chapter one. And I'm going to choose one point and just end on that one point. Notice what Nehemiah does once his heart breaks. For the next four months, Nehemiah prays. Nehemiah is not too busy to pray. He is too busy not to pray. And when he prays, he starts with number one, who God is. Adoration prayer. Adds so much faith to his prayer. Next, he identifies with his people. And then lastly, he was prepared to go and do something about it. And then a calling was born. Now, I hope these are all good points from chapter one, but here is the point I'd like to end with, okay? Here's the one point I like to just kind of blow up. Notice how the entire story began. Notice how the entire story begins. 
Nehemiah hears a report from his brother and his heart is broken. That is how the story begins. I mean, later on, Nehemiah is going to pray for four months and then he's going to put his entire life on the line. Yes, but it all began with Nehemiah's heart being broken, which leads us back to this question for you and me, which is this, what breaks your heart? What can you not stand? Put it a different way. What makes you go, that is so not right. That is so not right. Now, this is a really important question to ask because awesome things happen when you pay attention to the things that break your heart. A calling can be born. Many of us know the organization called World Vision. It's one of the largest Christian charities in the world today, serving like 40 million people. 40 million children, actually. The charity began when Bob Pierce was in China and he met a Chinese girl who was beaten and homeless. And his heart just broke. And he didn't know what to do. He was looking through his pockets. All he had was $5. And so he was like, here's $5. I wish I could give you more. But his heart was just broken. And from that moment on, he started to pray a prayer that really was the prayer of his life. And it went like this, Lord, let my heart be broken for the things that break yours. Lord, let my heart be broken for the things that break yours. It was this encounter with this little girl that um, caused him to start this organization called World Vision. And it all began with his heart being broken. So, What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? Most of you know that my family is now preparing to move overseas to Taiwan next year. And I'm going to be honest with you. The reason why, well, like, the reason why I'm moving is because something broke my heart. Like, this is what broke my heart. Like, like right now in the world, there are over 2 billion people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 billion people who have never heard that God became a human being and gave up his life on a cross out of love to rescue people from their sins and to rescue us from the ultimate penalty of our sins, which is hell. 2 billion people have never heard that good news. This amazing message of God's grace. I've never had the chance to believe in Jesus as their Savior. And something in me just went like, that's not right. That's not fair. That's not right. I just can't live and not do something about that. And so we're moving to Taiwan to join a ministry that is doing something about that problem. Dangerous things happen when you pay attention to the things that break your heart the things you just can't stand, a new ministry can be born. Several months ago, there was a white police officer that knelt on a neck on the neck of an African-American man. Nine minutes later, that man was dead. America saw that video and it broke our hearts. And we pleaded with the bystanders who were there, just like, what are you doing? Get off of his neck. Dangerous things can happen when you pay attention to the things you can't stand. Last week during the presidential debates, some of you might have noticed that our president would not, when asked to, would not condemn white supremacy. Many of us were very disturbed by that. That is not okay. 
Ministries are born from paying attention to the things we cannot stand. So church family, what breaks your heart? Pray about it and be prepared for God to send you. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, our stories can re-begin as we pay attention to what breaks our hearts. But our eyes are upon you. You are the much bigger story. The whole reason why you came to earth to die on the cross for our sins is because at the beginning of the story, we broke your heart by rebelling against you. And so out of great compassion, you came. You are our savior. You are our model. You are our inspiration. Our eyes come back to you and your much bigger story. During this um, series, as we go through Nehemiah, I pray that the many themes would shape us, challenge us, and rouse our attention. Shape us, Lord. Speak to us throughout this whole series. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.